You know, there's a lot about the ideas of our time that's a complete change from our previously held views. One of those is that psychedelic drugs hold medicinal benefit. After the now infamous John Hopkins study that involved giving magic mushrooms to life-threatening cancer patients yielded such fantastic results and popped psychedelics as a medical benefit into the zeitgeist. For those that may have never heard of this study, I'm going to read the summary of it that was released in 2018 from John Hopkins titled, Psilocybin Produces Substantial and Sustained Decreases in Depression and Anxiety in Patients with Life-Threatening Cancer, a Randomized Double-Blind Trial. Medical literature is not known for its captivating reading, but I'm still going to go ahead and read the summary, so hang in there because it is quite interesting. Quote, this study showed that psilocybin produced substantial and sustained decreases in depression and anxiety in patients with life-threatening cancer, and that mystical-type experiences on session days mediated the effect of psilocybin dose on therapeutic outcomes. Participants, staff, and community observers rated participant moods, attitudes, and behaviors throughout the study. High-dose psilocybin produced large decreases in clinician and self-rated measures of depressed mood and anxiety, along with increases in the quality of life, life meaning, and optimism, and decreases in death anxiety. At six-month follow-up, these changes were sustained with about 80% of the participants continuing to show clinically significant decreases in depression, mood, and anxiety. Study participants attributed improvements in attitudes about life-slash-self, mood, relationships, and spirituality to the high-dose experience, with greater than 80% endorsing moderately or greater increased well-being-slash-life satisfaction, which was further supported by community observer ratings showing corresponding changes. End that summary. The cultural taboo, thanks to these studies, has started to lift on psychedelics, and the medical benefits with them are just starting to be identified. Real work with them through the help of professionals has now entered this mix and has been steadily building. One hope I have for their introduction to the pharmacological toolkit is we don't bring the same complications with drugs that we currently have and just apply them to this other class of drugs, assuming they can be treated the same. We're already a little too okay with expecting a pill and a cure. Doing so with psychedelics should cause us some pause. In the essay for episode 44 on fentanyl, I gave a definition of drugs that I personally subscribed to and took from the ancient Greeks, where they used the same word for medicine as they did for poison. What can heal or improve can also damage or destroy. Universally, with those who consume psychedelics, is the utter reality-altering nature of the experience. Whether it's the classic Jimi Hendrix mandalas and fractal hallucinations of LSD, the love euphoria of Molly slash MDMA, or the sense of universal connection of psilocybin mushrooms. These new psychedelic modalities I do think hold a significant potential as a means to heal. And we're in a world perhaps more desperate than ever for a sense of understanding both the chaos of reality 
and a desire to heal individually in it. One of the parts in this whole drug v. human paradigm is the automatic assumption that the drug holds all the power. We label unconsciously what's an acceptable drug, alcohol, from unacceptable, say MDMA, and reduce any benefit or harm down to the label we give. Complexity of reality beckons, though, and I'd love to embrace more of the individual in this, as well as their own agency. Is the drug used to have recreation, masking an unmet need, escaping trauma, or, like we'll hear in this episode, seeking to get an understanding at the end of their life? Rare is it that one grows an unhealthy relationship to a substance that doesn't arise from another place, another trauma, or the like that they wish to escape. As a culture, I'd love it if the starting point was to see others in a vein of compassion and understanding. If we start to empathize with what's driving others, and ourselves, the substance can seem like an afterthought to the deeper reality. If we as a culture are leading with that empathy, we may just meet each other where we are, and all of us can heal. The potential to heal is there broadly with drugs, including ones as powerful and otherworldly as the purely cerebral ones, like psychedelics. We can get there with drugs, as long as we learn from our past and attempt to transcend our default nature, past our comfort of predictability, speed, and profit. With that setup, next is my interview with Dr. Ryan Westrom, therapist and on the front line of integrating these psychedelic experiences with one's individual reality. We talk about the people he's helped and what they're integrating from their psychedelic experiences, the dangers of psychedelics as well as the benefits, what an individual's responsibility is when using these drugs for healing or recreation, along with a lot of deep concepts as to reality itself our place within it, and much more. If you want to hear more about the work that Dr. Westrom is doing, I encourage you to check out his podcast that I've linked below in the description and listen in on some of the integration work he's doing with those bringing their psychedelic experiences back into their everyday lives. Wherever on our blue dot this finds you, I wish you well. Hey, real quick while I have you here. If you like what you're listening to, please tap that follow or subscribe, as well as sign up for notifications so you'll know when our next season or episode drops. Also, if you're curious to look at our catalog of all that we have to offer and some exciting things we have to come, please visit us at bandwidth.productions. Cool. Well, thank you very much. If you wouldn't mind, um, please introduce yourself really quick. My name is Ryan Westrom. I am a psychedelic integration therapist out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, cool. I didn't even know you were in Minneapolis. I love uh, love the great north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been in Minneapolis most of my life. Dive in and out of different places. It's a, one of my favorite states, low-key. Minnesota's got a lot to offer. Um Cool. So I want to ask you a question and then we can kind of get into our topic matter. Um, but what is it you like to do that makes you happy? The things that make me happy is uh, through experiences, 
the things that I find most flowing is when I'm able to embody something emotionally, physically, and just immerse myself in all five senses. It's my favorite thing to do. Could be skydiving to sitting on the floor with my young boy playing Legos. It's amazing. Immersion. So enter, immersion. Immersion into the, the kind of flow state or kind of the uh, transcendent states of full presence, right? And that's the attempt. Until he throws a Lego at my head and then I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reality always likes to find a way to come. Uh, reality and the ego, I guess, uh, find a way to find a way to come lash you back to it. Um, Very quickly. Yeah. So what exactly is the work that you do? It's a great question. The work I do is, uh, I would say, a confluence of sorts. I'm uh, identified as a sex therapist as well as a psychedelic integration therapist. Most of my day-to-day life is interacting with one of two of those subject matters where I'm helping people and holding space for them to find authenticity, a clear connection. I hope it's also a very spiritual practice. My company is named Healing Souls for that reason, helping people kind of re-identify and connect with the spiritual practices or engagement in this embodied experience. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Um, so how do you go about doing that? The ways I do it is, um, first of all, listening to what they're looking for. Um, I don't prescribe to just one kind of tool. Often it's about integrating what's coming up for them in a way that allows them to listen to their own internal healer, their own calibration of sorts. Part of what I do then in a more technical manner is allowing them to open, allowing them to listen to maybe their active imagination and getting out of their conscious mind and into their body. That could be breathwork exercises, hypnotherapy, um, helping them kind of really embody not just the cerebral cognitive conversation, but interfacing with everything else that sounds uh daunting it can be for people if they're holding on to control and power right jr so the biggest thing for me is when i meet somebody especially if it's around psychedelics or any kind of sexual identity or fluidity is we have to relinquish control and power as well as like the fear of judgment and so i love that you said daunting because if we can get out of that pattern there's a ton of space to dive into, a ton of freedom of exploration. And it's a lot about just trying it on. Again and again and again. Uh, what are psychedelics to you? Like if you would give me like a brief definition of it, and then how is that a different modality than what is typical? fantastic direction psychedelics to me are an opportunity they are i believe a neutralized compound that's brought to this earth that we are now using as healing tools that we are accessing as an opportunity to learn about many different things psychedelics can provide biographical healing psychedelics can provide recreational understanding clarity I think psychedelics to me are at some level a sacrament, depending on what you're taking and the intent you're using them for. I think furthermore, if you look at them with reverence and deep respect, they can symbiotically in return provide you a plethora of support in your life. 
I think that has been lost as an opportunity. We're looking to take something from psychedelics often. And what my suggestion is to many people is come into concert with them and walk with them rather than trying to use them just as a tool. I don't believe psychedelics are just a tool, but they're rather an opportunity to live symbiotically with. If you could live symbiotically with them, they can provide so much. That's fascinating. And how would you say that they're different than typical modalities in, in the respective kind of healing and, and processing and all of that? Yeah, I got lost in the tangent. So the second part no, of the no, question. No, keep going. No, sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is in a very highly psychedelical manner, forget some things. Uh, the, the difference in them is that there's an intuitive sense that it's broadening our awareness to tap into things that are more intuitive in nature. And what I mean by that is classical therapy or many of the modalities, be it CBT, DBT, or different kind of, you know, internal family systems, leave us trying to make an answer out of something. I believe psychedelics is different in therapy in that they're offering us suggestions and it's our job to intuitively come into relationship with them and see what makes sense to us. They're not just, often you hear people say, oh, they're downloading answers. And I, 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 I get a little skeptical about that because then that's not giving any agency to the human being. Rather, and it's the same with therapy. If you just sit and listen to a therapist and they tell you or prescribe a theory or a direction, there is a removal of agency. And my biggest desire is to provide agency to the person looking for healing. And one of the ways to do that, that I believe psychedelics does, is it gives this like opportunity of sorts to recognize their genius, their person, and what they could become. That is a very interesting way of putting it. So it's, if I transform that in a different way, it's a modality that tries to allow self-actualization and reflection and increasing in a way our own humanity as opposed to typical modalities which is you have a problem let's find a solution for sure and That's i want to i want to elaborate yeah and i sorry for please please do yeah step on my toes this whole time so keep stepping. okay keep going. well the reason why i say that and why i have this vision and thought around it is because humbly it it provides us opportunity it provides us gentleness and grace for who we are and what we're coming into existence with, what we interface externally with. If we're prescribed a theory or a therapeutic modality, including psychedelics, mind you, and that's why I'm kind of stirring the pot on this around, is I caution if we're using psychedelics no differently than any other theory and just putting it in a cardboard box or a container, there's a radical opportunity for people to just continue to walk down like, you know, animal to slaughter. This, to me, needs to have a relationship with rather than follow the lead. And without becoming too, like, soapboxy, psychedelics isn't designed for us to just lead through the blind and just follow what they're telling us. It's to come interface with it. It's to, like, allow it to be suggestions but not definitive answers. That's fascinating. 
So I have this definition of truth that I like to propagate, which is I think that truth is paradox. So if you ever get to a point where something doesn't make sense because you have to hold space for two conflicting things that are both happening, then you've gotten to truth. Like that's truth. Truth isn't a fixed thing, right? Because once again, um, I subscribe to like the idea of complexity in physics in which whatever we're actually looking at, we're never going to be able to know everything. There's always an innumerable amount of factors that are going over it. And there's no way you can take all the computation in the universe. And I would extend the complexity theory to say you can take all the computation in the universe and you'll never actually understand everything because you're blind to what you don't know, right? There's always going to be an unknown unknown somewhere in there. So almost what you're saying is, is that psychedelics when used in the manner in which you're describing could be a way of us simultaneously getting to better know ourselves and getting to know the complexity of reality itself. Well said. And I totally prescribe similar to you with the idea of this is truth in paradox. I think the whole idea is just getting comfortable with that. And eloquently, as you just said, if someone knows everything, I would say run for the hills, including myself. If I ever am caught saying I know something that's preposterous. Yeah. I try to train myself to say, I believe yeah. as opposed to, I know, because uh-huh. uh, it's hard. I mean, it's very hard, especially I do like software development and, you know, like sure. there's so many fixed ways of saying, I know this, this is how it works, but then you end up just getting surprised how things change. Right. Um, which is fascinating. Um, before we get further, cause there's a lot I want to continue to unpack. What is this? Can you explain the experience of psychedelics? Because I would imagine a lot of people listening are pretty terrified about them from them, rightfully so, to be honest. Um, so could you explain kind of what the experience of it is and both the good and ills? Because once again, going with the complexity of all of this, um, it's not it's not writ large uniformly a good thing necessarily, right? There is potential dangers and, and things to consider, right? Yeah. And the reason why that question is so important today is this new renaissance. And before I get into what it is, it's an important thing that it's not for everybody. As you said, it could be terrifying. It could have innate fears. It could have a developed anxiety based off of cultural ramifications, be it if you grew up in the era of Nixon or Reagan, where drugs were bad. So one of the largest components is with psychedelics and what it is, is it's dependent on the, obviously the compound or the medicine, what's coming up. Um, the formula that someone should or could potentially consider, as we're saying, we don't know, I don't know, is this idea of doing everything in your power beforehand to prepare yourself to receive, right? So without talking about what psychedelics does to someone or what it looks like to be using, I often, again, in a paradoxical way that you so eloquently said, need to prepare yourself for the unexpected. Becoming comfortable with, hey, this medicine could do everything and anything in its power. So safety is primary. And it's hard to answer your question directly because it's so unique. And I think that's what I would like to articulate to the listeners is, If you're trying to find a prescribed way of doing it, I would ask you to caution that and find safety first, get enough information of the people you're working with, the medicine, get sophisticatedly understanding of what your intention is, because each medicine does something radically different. That's interesting. 
what is the spectrum between the differences? So, you know, like the, the very popular ones are probably like LSD and psilocybin, sure. you know, mushrooms. Um, and I, I suppose DMT is also in there as well. Yeah, DMT, potentially even um, MDMA, right? So the radical expression MDMA has with PTSD. I've been recently talking about, and this is just theoretical, I believe that, you know, MDMA has a little bit more opportunity to engage in our biographical story, our healing of both our wounds in the past and what we're dealing with presently or moving forward in the future. Often, and due to the reverence of the ceremony, ayahuasca has a tendency to be very kind of um, archetypal spiritually woven. Um, and then you have to ask and really spit in the soup and make it even much more complex, JR, is this idea of, well, recreational versus therapeutic intent. Because I, you know, prescribe to the idea that there's nothing wrong with recreational. I, I'm not opposed to saying a good trip at a Grateful Dead concert or some sort of festival is is totally viable. All that to be said, you need to know the t- the territory, right? So the length of time, the durations of LSD are easily far longer than a short MDMA experience or a mushroom. The psychedelic nature that you're talking about so right, eloquently, this idea of psilocybin being, you know, potentially mind bending could put, you know, a depersonalization on somebody, which means they might have a little fragmented ego or a loss of ego. So all that to say, time, intent, motivations, safety, radically important. Yeah, uh, set and setting, right? Isn't that uh, yeah. a popular way of putting it? Yeah. Correct. Um, so, so let's just say we're, we're entering it now. We've, we've, gone, we've done our homework and we've kind of, we're, we're entering it in one of the, the different uh, flavors of uh, medicines, if you will. Uh, what's happening in our brains and, and how does that change throughout it? So like, for example, like something that comes up uh, frequently is like ego and how mm-hmm. ego, your the sense of self changes and the sense of kind of the connection with the rest of the world tends to change. Um, and all of a sudden you, you might start entering a space of, um, uh, for lack of a better word, spiritual space where you're, you're understanding a deeper, or at least you're feeling, you're feeling something that you're, you normally would only be able to understand in an abstract way, save of those moments that you were saying, you know, earlier, like when you're hanging out with your, uh, your child. Um, so what is that experience like? And how does that kind of differ from our kind of walking around status quo? Um, and what from that do we have to consider into the, the integration process? And hopefully along the way, I'm not giving you too many compounded questions. No, not at all. I think it's great. First of all, as a disclaimer, I'm definitely not a neurobiologist, nor am I any kind of neuroscientist. So I do not speak eloquently about what's happening physically. But you said something beautifully, and I appreciate it. It's what's happening spiritually. What are we, what's happening with our consciousness? I think it's an opportunity to practice some things. And I'm going to take the liberties in, in my beliefs. It's an opportunity to come into, uh, again, a relationship of ourself in some of the psychedelic experiences that I've heard from, um, myself included, it can be biographical, it could be archetypal, it could be past life regressions, it could be spiritual reassurance of what's to come. Having spent time helping integrate um, stage four cancer patients or terminally ill, there's a radical, radical reassurance 
of this embodied experience and where we're moving for in the future. So during the session, it's about breathing. <laughs> if you can breathe and hold on and just ask and know that there's support and that there's guidance and that it will be a temporary state of consciousness to support the healing of your traits that you're trying to integrate, as you said, is the experiences, I believe, are temporary states that provide us foundation for how the traits we want to walk in this world. That's interesting. So what I'm almost hearing is that this, I, I actually, I say this to people um, whenever they, they elicit uh, my commentary on whatever their life situation is, is that, um, well, one, uh, God, I bring this up too often, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, there's a, a, a guest on the show who's a, a close close friend of mine, uh, Felipe Fernandez Armesto, he's a historian. And he said it on the first time we talked, uh, comfort is the enemy of well-being. And I think in today's society, we run to comfort and we're, we're actually marketed comfort quite heavily. And that we forget that actually it's the struggle that matters, right? Like um, all of my favorite people in the in my life, in my you know personal friendships, and whatnot, all have really fucked up backgrounds. And I feel like what that is, is that they've seen the struggle so much that it's formed them into who they are today. Now that forming can be something that is actually very hard to get out of because you could have bad habits, bad reactions, traumas that you're carrying. Like it's a double-edged sword. I'm not... I'm not at all suggesting somebody have a terrible life to have to become a good person. I, I don't think, I think there's many paths to, you know, transcendence as I would put it. Um, but what I'm hearing here is that this, this um, collapsed experienced within a safe manner with this type of modality could almost help train us to get past this and to just say, breathe and keep going. This is, this moment is temporary. We can keep moving forward, which is almost as if it's, a training ground for more than one thing at once. If, if I'm, am I hearing this right? That's accurate. And to double down on that, what you're saying is quite beautifully. And it's not to suggest we're all sadists, right? Like we're just looking for the sword to be cutting us all day long. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm actually suggesting that if we lean into these exercises, be it with psychedelics, that it's providing us ample space, JR, to lean into how beautiful our life can be and where we found resiliency. And I'll go one step further, which I'm leaning into as my career is transitioning, is it's the art of practicing dying. The only thing that is universal is we're dying. And it's not, again, to be morbid, but to lean into mortality and go, okay, this is a wonderful expression of me to honor because everybody comes out going, holy shit, that happened. Well, what does that remind you of? It's a practice of sorts. No matter if you're trying to heal a trauma in this life or get ready for the next mystery, you have to practice and then you get to indulge in what you're really appreciated of. One of the things that has valued me personally with psychedelics is my deep reverence for living and my deep curiosity for transitioning. Yeah, I like that. There's a, a Bob, Bob Dylan line that I like a lot, which is uh, those that aren't being busy, busy being born or being busy being dead. And it, it can be on one side of the coin quite uh, morbid. But really what that just means is, dude, everything is ephemeral. And, you know, like I like to think of like 
big, big things of ma uh, majesty. Like, I think there's something in us as, that's hardwired. If we look at mountains or the Grand Canyon or something like that, we're just like an awestruck. And I think that there's some type of, to use your word, archetypical, or archetypical, if I'm conjugating correctly, uh, sense of that, of being like, wow, it took so much time to make what I'm seeing. I'm only here for such a moment. So why not just let go of everything that I that isn't serving me and try to just hold on to whatever it is? Because all we really do have, as hyperbolic as it sounds, is this present time. Right. right. Yeah. And I think our society uh, does a great job of, as you said earlier, comforting ourselves and ignoring the fact of them, as you eloquently mentioned, the majesty of the mundane. It's like, it's like, again, without sounding jaded or cliche, it's truly an opportunity to breathe into like this gift and know it's temporary. Yeah, and, and we could use that both in the times of struggle and the times of re of joy, right? Correct. Um, something I try to remind myself of constantly is successes and failures are both uh, temporary, and it's actually the struggle to get to either place that's the most important. Because if you keep chasing that high of success or failure, it's never going to be enough. And instead, it's it's important to just kind of relax and 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 love the struggle, um, which it sounds like once again, your, your type of inner, um, integration tends to help with. And while we're on this kind of idea of mortality, could you kind of explain some of the, the benefits or, uh, experience that you've had with terminal patients? Cause one of the things that kind of awoke, you know, the Western world, if you will, to the power of psychedelics was that John Hopkins study in using, uh, psilocybin with terminal ill, uh, ill patients. And how overwhelming all of the patients that had that actually had a you know positive experience. So as somebody who's actually worked with individuals in that space, can you help us understand kind of what these individuals have been able to get out of it um, and, and kind of how they've been able to understand, I really like the way you put it, kind of the, the mystery of what's next. Yeah. Ooh, and with honoring their sacred story, I, I can articulate themes that I've witnessed. And the themes that I've witnessed, JR, are uh, a deep sense of an embodied experience of what that's going to look like, right? Be it if you're run over by a truck, it's much different than these courageous individuals going through stage four cancer or terminal illness. So in and of itself, by nature, their courage is a thematic element. The fact that they're going at it consciously and without trepidation. Another theme that I've witnessed is a sense of reassurance. So whatever that means, no matter what religious the religion they prescribe to or lack of religion they prescribe to, there's a sense that they're finding reassurance in oneself. However it happens, without my understanding, and again, not knowing anything <laughs> with that insurance policy, they get reassurance. They find reassurance in the experience of providing them some sort of pathway. The third thing, which is wonderful, is it gives them context for the rest of their time here. One of the things I've heard from a countless number of them is it's prescribed them a contextual, pragmatic, physical, material thing that they can do that they never thought of, such as one individual um, recognized that they wanted to be in their home for 24 hours after they had passed. 
and they created this ordained ceremony that was given to them from the sacrament of mushrooms. And they told me this whole elaborate thing. And then that's where I helped them integrate, making it real for them. That you can actually recognize the last part of my themes is the reality of the experience can be transferred into what they have left in their life. Yeah. And that deep breath that it did the same thing to me. It was like, it's intense. It's beautiful though. I mean, like it's, it's amazing to me um, how much distractions we have from our own mortality and how being forced to look right at it can be comforting to use that word again, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the we're used to kind of like dopamine hits. That's our comfort. That's not comfort though. Comfort is supposed to be safety. And what you're describing sounds like safety in once again, reality of, yo, we're only here for a little bit. And how you go out is actually on your own terms within your own consciousness. So how can we go about that? Is If I'm kind of translating that, right? You're translating it beautifully. And what reassured me is how you just said it is it's bringing it back to reality. It's not ignoring it. It's again, and I, I often tell people, and this is important to share, is there's a difference between embracing it and indulging in it. And I, I need to make that very clear. I'm not asking you to indulge in it. I'm asking someone to consider the possibility to embrace it. And that gives you then some space to breathe into it even if it's for five minutes in the morning or if it's two minutes before you lay down in your bed, express the gratitude you have and breathe into the idea that the mystery might be next. Yeah, that's, that's interesting too. I also like uh, the way you keep talking about breathing because it's such a passive thing that we don't think about, but like, you know, uh, I think about this every time this comes up of like how people are saying like you need to, people need to drink more water, right? Like you can't, you know, you can last like two weeks without food. You can't last two days without water. And it's like, man, you can't last two minutes without breathing. Right. And, and right. it's such an important way to like anchor ourselves back into reality again, to kind of keep using that as a theme, I guess. Um, well, interesting. And yeah, and what, what I would love to like piggyback off of what you're saying and why I do talk about breath so much is what you just said is it's a forgotten tool that provides us uh, certainty in uncertainty. It's one of the most wonderful mechanisms. And this, uh, I say kind of liber liberally, I use this loosely, but the breath is the one thing we have left. So I, as much as I would love to be like, Adolf Huxley and take LSD on my deathbed, it's not going to happen. But what I can do is evoke a non-ordinary state. I can connect with my breath to ground myself. So the love affair I have with the breath is it evokes both a non-ordinary state, if I do it with activity or presence or conscious evocation, and it also grounds me at the same time. I mean, what better tool to explore consciousness and stay grounded it's it's remarkable. No, yeah, no, totally. Um, my my wife uh, convinced me to do like a thirty day uh, Kundalini breathing uh, set of breathing exercises, and I'm only on day four, so I can't say that I'm uh, really in it yet. Uh, but the thing that's been so fascinating to me is, well, one, how it's actually similar to the breathing techniques that I had to learn with swimming and other like athletic means, uh, where it's like you have to learn to control your breath. 
Um, because like, you know, in swimming in particular, I, I used to be a competitive swimmer. Um, if you don't control your breathing, you're going to gas out and then you're done. And once you're, you gas out, you're done. Like you're not going to be able to keep going at the same level. You're in, you know, it's so cardiovascular intensive that you have to learn how to do that. But the fascinating thing that I've been experiencing and only a few days in, so, you know, uh, try to discount this a little bit, uh, is reaching that state while sitting, just sitting there. And wow. that is so fascinating to me because I'm used to having to give myself, you know, to max, to max rev myself. Like I, I when I'm not injured, I like to, to trail run a lot and I can get to that space again. And when I'm in that space and I'm giving it all out, I can enter that flow state and I can enter that, that space of where like your whole body is vibrating. You can feel that vibration and the energy pulsing and all those things that sound like woo, but it's like, no, no, I, I've, I've gotten there through athletics. So you can't tell me that's woo because I've gotten there while doing these things that are very difficult. What's fascinating to me is by just how you breathe, the motions that you do it, you can get to that space sitting down doing nothing. And then the other thing that, you know, is squaring it all for me is when you're in those difficult moments that you have to bite down. And if it's that you're, you know, you're with somebody who has previously caused you trauma and you're having to experience interacting with them again, um, or you're someplace at work that you, something happened and your adrenaline is shooting, that you can go back to that space. And it's almost as if you've built a little room in your head that you can get back to and then you can, you know, center yourself in there and then walk around almost. And you become almost truly uh, a passenger in your life in the means of like, I can feel what I'm feeling and I can see what I'm seeing. And both of those things don't have to drive how I behave, which is interesting to me is what you're saying is breath is super important. A modality to be able to, to take it into the rest of your life is, is breathing and a way to be able to kind of reflect reality back to you is through this use of psychedelics and then tie it all back together, integrate it back again, which to me, I think is really important in what you've been saying, because something that I think is missed in the psychedelic revolution, you know, as people or Renaissance as people have been putting it is bringing it back in to, to life and centering it back into like, see, one of the things that I think, we have so many distractions in our world today is away from why are we here? Right? Like we, we've kind of like thrown religion out with the baby with the bathwater, which maybe is a good thing. I don't have an opinion on it. Um, but in through doing that, we've kind of lost like, well, what is it I'm here for? Am I just here to, to, to seek the next dopamine hit? Am I here to just kind of like grind it out and bite down? Like, what is it? And what you're kind of suggesting is, there's many ways to go about this. One of them could be breathing. One of them could be, you know, psychedelic with integration. But the big part is, is taking your consciousness and bringing it back into the real world of where you're walking around and looking out through your eyes mm -hmm. and how you go about that what's important, which I think is amazing. I think it's important to reiterate that too. I appreciate your way of saying it. I don't think it's about anything other than living in this pragmatic concrete sequential life and comforting ourselves through the spirit right so it's not to suggest that but if if we're doing these exercises or we're using these medicines or we're doing breath or we're doing it, the motivation is so we're more understanding of what we're doing so all of that kind of stems back for me into this embodiment yeah i think that's that's really Amazing. Um, I think that that's such an important thing for today. 
and it gives me so much hope in our future uh, in a time when I feel like there's so many reasons to not have hope, um, which is the fact that this is even being talked about in the manner and there's people that are doing this in the, in the manner that you are, I think is is really interesting because one of the great things that we've got with kind of our reductionist world is we can make things that do that solve problems that are pretty amazing, but do we actually know why we're doing any of it? Like we right. can connect, you know, people keep talking about connecting our brains into computers, which I'm uh, very bearish on if we should, let alone if it's possible. Um, but you know, it, it, why are we doing that? Like, what are we trying to achieve? Are we just trying to achieve a faster widget and being able to do our jobs faster? Like, well, but why, you know, what is For it sure. that's actually motivating us? Which I think is another in- important thing that you've been bringing up is like the motivation and intent. Yeah. And I love uh, the idea of questioning the why. And every time I seem to question the why personally, I believe that I need to ask myself what, how, where, when, before the why, because it gives me some sort of context. And specifically, as you're saying, too, and I'm like the most largest significant advocate for myself around psychedelics, but what I have to challenge myself is, is if we're only using these experiences as the opportunity and we're not looking at the holistic approach of this idea of doing yoga or eating healthy or having conscious conversations like you and I are having, the psychedelics are going to fall at the wayside because it's that lack of integration. It's lack of purpose. It's lack of meaning. I'm not suggesting you have to do everything with reverent integration or intent, but you know, at the end of the day, give some sort of context to why we're doing it. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I like going to music festivals and something that I will be uh, maybe making some people that are going to be mad at me is I think the flippant use of psychedelics there is a problem because it creates a community that self perpetuates itself. And also the thing with psychedelics, um, neither of us are neuroscientists, but they do, they can, uh, Michael Pollan has this uh, analogy that I like a lot, which is psychedelics. Um, you know, we have these, let's just say our mind is a hill covered in snow and we have certain paths that we go down with the sled. And what psychedelics allow us is they almost have a fresh coat of, of powder over that so that we can kind of see the grooves and choose if we want to go down them and kind of help build neural pathways away from them. Um, you know, psilocybin is proven to do neurogenesis, which is you know, regrow neurons, connections, that type of thing, which is amazing. However, that's a double-edged sword because if you're in a, a setting and a community, and I think a big part of it is the community that perpetuates this type of use, you're actually ingraining your negative habits and you're ingraining this type of, of, of method of doing it, which I think is, is concerning you know, be, and because you know, nothing is good, nothing is bad. It just is, right? So psychedelics sure. have a means means to be helpful, um, but I think it's something that that why is important, right? Because I think I don't, I'm not trying to speak any judgment here. I think if you want to use a regulation, it's fine. But I think understanding why and what your intent is from it and what you're trying to get out of it is super important. Otherwise, it might make those bad habits harder to get out of, right? Yeah, and that speaks uh, very a lot of volume into, as you said, you might not be knowing why you're doing it, and before you know it, you're in the concert continuously perpetuating something. And I had a client recently suggest after festivals this summer, he said, I recognized I need to like go there once sober. And what he identified was the magnitude of what he was missing. So in defense of psychedelics, as much as I love them and advocate for recreational use as well, 
I often think it's super important to put it down, <laughs> set it, set it down and see what you're missing. Like, honestly, no matter if it's a therapeutic dose or if you're going recreationally, you'd be alarmed at how big of an LSD trip life is being sober for a minute. It's like fucking alarming how silly it can be. Completely. No, I mean, reality is a fucking trip. <laughs> and if you're under a substance or not, uh, if you really kind of relax into it, it's it's so fucking goofy, man. I, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's so many different ways of finding out how just goofy things are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I, I really, I really appreciate that. And, and kind of what you're advocating is, you know, the, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a means, you know, but everything, breathing is a journey, I guess, is really what you're saying. And, you know, what do we do with that breath? Right. And know that it's not ending. If we think it's ending, that's also breeds fear and trepidation. And I think the idea of trusting the fact that we don't know provides security. Yeah, I guess safety again coming coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are your, I don't want to say suggestions, but kind of what is your advice to people who are, are curious in this? And what are some of the things to look for in that curiosity, both of kind of like your inward reflection, as well as kind of uh, the outward experience that you may or may not be choosing to kind of embark on? Um, so when I speak to someone that's new and curious to this work, the questions I often ask, and they're very high level, is I give this PREP acronym. I find it super helpful. And the acronym is PURPOSE, P, what is your purpose, R, reflect on historically what your history might be, both physically, mental health, identify the traumas that might not be repressed or suppressed, uh, E, what are your expectations? Often what I notice about people coming fresh and new to this work is they have uh, potentially unreasonable expectations. As many people would say, the one hit pill or, you know, this is going to transform my life. And I often remind people that it's like squeezing toothpaste out of an old school toothpaste container. You're going to have to do something with this, right? And I say this very humorously is you do psychedelics, it's out. And you better know then on the flip side and why I love integration so much is preparatory journey maps to know where you're going, what you're going to be doing with it. And then the last P in prep is what's the potential. So worst case scenarios, best case scenarios, and everything else in between, just actively imagine. So you have some sort of groundwork in this very uncertain experience. I think the largest thing I believe psychedelics is being presented as this certainty or this clear thing. And it's really not. And if anyone says that it's super strange to me because as much as neurogenesis is happening or these experiences are being healed through PTSD trials, there's still the outliers. And we have to listen to that. And I, I don't say that to breed fear and scarcity. I actually am breeding like a sense of, hey, you better know why you're doing it and then double down on why you're doing it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, what I'm hearing is you're being honest, right? Like, um, I have a lot of gripes with the pharmaceutical industry, but one of them is the benzodiazepines and how they're prescribed flippantly and how the same type of conversation is rarely had that you're having with psychedelics 
with benzos, right? Like it's not a magic pill. It'll feel like a magic pill. Your anxiety will completely go away and it'll be radically different in a way that it doesn't even, it sneaks up on you where you're like, oh my God, I, I actually, I feel better, but my heart right. isn't racing. That's wild. Um, but it's not a zero sum game. You know, what it's doing to your, your, your neurology is something to be considered, you know, any habit dependency is going to need to be considered. Um, but there is benefit to it. it you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say there isn't a benefit to having to somebody who's having a traumatic panic attack, or if their doctor says it is, and, and it, it makes sense for them. I'm sure there's an innumerable amount of instances that it makes sense. But that's to say not to say that it's a, one, a single cure all, or that it's necessarily safe in all means and all manners and all habits. And what I'm hearing you say is, that's the that's the complexity to go back to that in medicine and that doesn't change just because we have like a new modality right. uh, in psychedelics and you bring up a valid point is this is still being perceived as a medicine no matter if it's a trial in a ptsd experiment or if what I'm hearing from the general public is we're looking at this as a healing modality which then by logic says there needs to be a reconciliation of what, how often, when, prescribe it. And again, what are you doing to walk with it? Similar to SSRIs, they ask you to do that with therapy. Practice the uh, integration of the medicine so you know it. And without belaboring that word too much, is there has to come a time where you're walking with it actively. And this is not a passive experience. Yeah. I, I really like, um, I don't know if it's still modern Greek, but I know ancient Greek, the term pharmacopoeia um, was the term both for medicine and poison. Mm. And I love that. And I wish that's the way we talk, we thought about medicines because they are both, they are both something that could heal you, but they also are something that can destroy you. And that is a reverence to use that word that you were using earlier that I think we should take into that, right? Because if it is anything like too much of anything can kill you right and like you know in um i don't know where this is from the it's, it's eluding me but it's it's not the uh medicine that matters it's the dose right and and i think that that is something that we once again in kind of this stream it tap it on demand give me dopamine world that we're in um like everything is a service now right um we kind of lose that and that is I think what is really important and really interesting in what you're saying is let's not fuck up this new modality in, in the same way that we've kind of tacitly accepted in our culture, you know, this take a pill and it'll be done. Sure. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it's not to suggest that there's certain gatekeepers or a lack of gatekeepers. It's just, uh, it's to suggest the communal conversation of, Hey, this is, what our motivations are. And I really appreciate what you're saying about it could be a poison or it could be deeply healing. Uh, it's possible. And at the end of the day, you look at yourself and you remind yourself of, am I doing this to follow the societal new trend or do I have a real significant reason for it? That's on you. And I respect everyone to make their own decision. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Uh, personal agency and, and, uh, self-reliance in the in the emerson way um is kind of the way that i i go about the world um i would love it if everybody could self-actualize and learn self-reliance like that's that's what gets me motivated to do this show let alone anything else um and and i love that that you bring it to uh 
this kind of new world that's emerging. Um, what give, what excites you about this and your work? Um, recently, and the most exciting, I alluded to the idea of the transitioning into understanding death and mortality, but what really excites me is this idea of bringing it into the way we live. So something that I deeply harness having children ranging from the age of 17 to one uh, provides me a deep reminder of living life. One of the things that I like about psychedelics work is all the new Renaissance and all the new information of it healing every single healing modality is beautiful. But at the end of the day, what has been really fun is finding a way of integrating what my lessons are that I've learned from psychedelics into my parenting, into the way I treat people, into the way I'm treating myself. And it sounds very cliche, like self-love and appreciation, but it's the idea of uh, witnessing that I know nothing and I can be taught by children of all ages, from people of all. And it's the humility that psychedelics taught me that I'm just super excited about. I'm really digging into this idea of getting out of the way and witnessing the other's wisdom and what I would call genius. You know, I'm really looking and seeking for the genius in people through this psychedelic work because they have so much fucking information to provide me and lessons to teach me. And that doesn't mean they have to take the medicine. I'm saying that I need to like humbly check myself and go, oh shit, that's radical. What I'm hearing from you, uh, I like to use wisdom because that was actually the, the word I was going to introduce. Um, I'll, I'll say this before I, I, I respond to it, but uh, there's a Socrates quote that I, I also probably bring up too much, uh, but I really like. And someone asks Socrates, what is wisdom? And he thinks, and then he comes back and he says, uh, all I know is that I know nothing. And I think that that is so important because once again, to call back to complexity, you can think the most sure thing but it's not always true and it's not always going to be true. Like the, you know, the summer is always in June in the Northern hemisphere, right? Uh, nope, not true. Every 26,000 years it flips. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like there's little things like that, that are, that aren't actually asterisks that are right. exceptions. They're part of all of this. Right. Yep. Um, and I think what's really interesting about what you're saying, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit is you're experiencing something otherworldly. You're, you, you know, um, Plato, again, to keep on this ancient history stuff, uh, there's a really great book called The Immortality Key, which suggests, in my mind, I think is is pretty good starting of definitive proof that in the ancient world, the Eleusinian mysteries, like the Platonic mysteries that he talks about, where he talks about learning to, uh, learning to die before death, is they were experiencing these psychedelic experiences. And so, you know, the, the challenge I have, or that I'm going to challenge you on it a little bit is... These psychedelic experiences help you learn how to live in a way because they teach you how to absolve what reality is into a different space of consciousness that is actually closer to, to truth in a way, I guess. Um, and you're learning how to incorporate that in your daily life. So it's, it's once again, back to that integration you're talking about. It's using this modal modality to be able to understand, I guess, the majesty of any moment and then carry that through if it's you're talking to, you know, some some of the people who have taught me the most things are the people that you would least expect it. Like a cab driver I had last week explaining to me how she has to be making less than $3,000 a month to be able to keep her children um, medical insurance. And she's, she told me she's, she's willingly accepting poverty 
to be able to provide for her children. And there, in, in that conversation, I learned so much about humility, about you know the importance of family, the importance of what actually what actually are we doing here, right? And surrendering into it. And she's she explicitly said to me, "I know my life is gonna suck, but my son is now at Purdue, and that's what matters." And it was so it was so amazing for me to hear that. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is psychedelics are are one of the many means to the end of accepting, you know, what we what we can in any given moment. Right. And control. Right. So I think that also is what's getting me super excited is not to the point of losing control in the sense of like uninhibited, like almost pragmatic feeling of loss. But the idea that psychedelics is really there's a nuance that I'm feeling into that gets me really excited about psychedelics, which is this idea of understanding that if you trust yourself and if you trust what's going on in the environment and the intent, you can surrender at the same time you can explore things. So you can continuously be curious, but you also know you have to surrender into not knowing shit. And that's a wonderful opportunity to get excited about, as you said, life and the mystery ahead of us. But it's all through nuance, right? It's through that paradoxical nuance. Which I think the world needs more of, right? Yeah. Otherwise, we're taking it for face value without curiosity. That, to me, boggles my mind. I think, yeah, personally, I think curiosity is is everything. I think if we can find a way to be curious, everything else will will be able to find it, find a way, right? Like, I, I've thought a lot about this, and one of the reasons I actually started this show is to to find ways to get people more curious about things, because we can we can fall into our evolutionary trap of creating others, and you know, finding funny ways of being able to find our own identity from what we're not. And we can, we can follow that path until the dogs come home and we can, and we can make lots of money. We can be surface level, very happy. Um, but the, the truth is, is that's not actually what, what is, what is holding us together um, and, and what we should be seeking. And, and it, in finding a curiosity of, well, why am I feeling this way? Why am I, uh, drawing a line and what what is not me in order to find who is me like forget all the polarization of left right whatever that nonsense is if you can get someone to be curious they'll figure it out on their own if it's that q isn't what we should be you know like donald trump isn't the real president or whatever it is like forget about arguing with somebody on their opinions if you can get them to be curious about what you're talking about, then I think everything else will take care of itself. And we, it could breed that self-reliance if, if we're going to call back to that. Without a doubt. And my kind of three pillars I do is I listen. I see what I can digest rather than just consume. I challenge myself not to consume so much, be it media, be it news, be it information. So not only am I curious, but I'm also being self kind of insulated in the fact that in today's society, especially with psychedelics and everything else, is I think we are assuming we need to um, consume as much as is given to us. And I argue that we need to learn um, discretion through digestion. Otherwise, it can put people into a tailspin. And I see that often within integration is people are coming in thinking they need to digest everything they're consuming. And that's inaccurate. That, and the third part is that's where the integration comes in is, okay, what is? And it gives people hope. 
if you titrate what you can digest versus what you can consume, it's fucking brilliant to because it's tangible, acceptable, and you're capable of doing it. I really like that. Especially because literally everything in our world is trying to push more. Consumption, right? Which yeah. <laughs> now wonder why everyone's on anxiety pills and trying to get it's like all you have to do is soften. I'm not asking people to go, you know, to Walden and sit in a cave. I'm just asking people to do again, monitor what they can consume and then capable of what they can digest. That's that's so fascinating. Um I wanna ask you one more question before we end. Please. What do you think consciousness is? <laughs> oh goodness can i plead the fifth and say i don't know <laughs> i, I yes. mean i've seen yeah i honestly my knee-jerk reaction is i have no clue uh, i've had that question asked me all the time and it, it stumps me because every time i'm about ready to vacillate on consciousness it puts me into my body or consciousness puts me into my heart or the exercise of exploring consciousness as we've eloquently said throughout today's conversation is putting me on my head of like, ah, consciousness is this conversation. I think consciousness is the presence. Consciousness for me is like uh, words that reassure this experience that can kind of congeal me into like, okay, embodied experiences I eloquently said at the beginning of like, I want to do this. I feel this okay. But lo and behold, that's a great, question it's like a buddhist koan that's always answered differently it is and i've never heard your way of putting it uh that it's words that embody this experience because i think that that's amazing you know uh i think once we reach something that's truly poetic it's explaining both the intent and the emotion behind what it's trying to explain while also telling you that the container that it's put in is not not real right Um, exactly it's limitless. That's fascinating. It's limitless. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I like to consider, you know, how consciousness is reality experiencing itself. Cause I think that's something we forget. It's like, no, no, no. Like you're made of atoms and, and somehow those atoms are put together and it's creating what you see, whatever is in the space between that of matter and void. I, I don't know. And I don't know if we ever can know. But we should probably hold on to the fact that, well, first off, you are not your thoughts, but you are experiencing that. And in that experience right. is reality. And yeah, I don't know. I, I ask that question sometimes just because I'm curious to see what people's responses are. But at the same time, I totally subscribe to what you're saying, which is I don't know what consciousness is, but I know there are things that are fixed and stable that I, I can't unsee. And the space right. between that, I do not understand. And trusting that and being okay in that. Being okay in the, the, the one thing that reassures me in my closing remark is that I'm comfortable in the unknown. And when I don't get comfortable, I find tethers to reassure me. That is such an important thing. Find tethers to reassure you. That's that's super important. Vital. Well, is vital. I like that. Um yeah, a vital means to thrive. Maybe that's a way we can put it. Um, is there anything you wanted to close on other than that, which you've done a very good poetic job of closing this up for me? 
No, I'm deeply humbled and appreciative of this opportunity to share the story and offer any bit of direction or support. And it means the world to have it. It's been a deep honor. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for, for coming on and talking so flippantly about this and kind of giving some more light on, on kind of the the boots on the ground with what we just see in, in headlines around psychedelics. And I think that is awesome that you just said that. It is. It's discrepancy between what the media and the tabloids and the information being seen and some prudent, pragmatic approaches that need to be kind of um, softened and molded. Could not agree more. Well, I'm going to pause the recording. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. I'm very uh, appreciative of of your thoughts and uh, what you're doing. My privilege. Thank you.